I don't I don't know if I want to start us off. <laughs> I, I it's one of those days where you go. Yeah. Uh, okay. You can't, you can't read that. Hello, Jim. Uh, <laughs> I think you could just use the I don't know if I want to start us off as the, the start of this podcast. That's fine. That's, I'm, that's I'm not going to complain. It. I think that's where we're going to catch that. <laughs> so, so we were just talking about this. I, I think that it's a good place to – it's a good jumping point. Um, oh, geez. My, my freaking – my cord is wrapped around the wheel <laughs> of my chair. My – so my cord Maybe we should have spent like two more minutes setting up. The, the cord is this long, right? And I was using it Nobody's going to believe that this is episode 201. Like. Uh, I know, right? So It's episode 201. Big success. We, we made it. And you know this what? This is officially the start of season three because we're doing it 100 episode cycles. So Nothing's going to change. We're, we're just going to keep steamrolling. Yep, we're going to keep doing it. But we're getting more views. Slowly but surely, we're growing our audience. Uh, the, and and slowly but surely, um, we're getting more questions. <laughs> We've got a, a, a listener question tonight I'm going to do later. But um, the first thing I want to talk about is, is uh, it, oh, come on. It, it, so I want to preface this by first saying that I think Recviato is hell. And nobody, can, <laughs> nobody can question the fact, okay, that Rick Beato does prefer Gibsons. Okay, that's those are two things I want to preface this with. Okay, before I go on to say why, what is there is wrong, um, and I want to say that I've I've listened to his and uh, watched his show, his his uh, um, YouTube channel. I can't tell you how many times. So I don't want to sit here and go and have people go. Oh yeah, Jim's Captain Negative because that's not what I'm doing. I just want to. I just want to ask the people at Gibson Marketing what they thought when they said, "You know what? We got Les Paul, and we need another Les Paul uh, uh, and Dorsey. Let it, let's have it be Rick Beato." Because to be honest, I mean, I understand his reach. I get the. I get that. I get the. Um, oh, I, I, you know, I really like Rick Beato, uh, uh, his brand of Axe Hard, I don't know, his brand of Axe uh, um, uh, Body Spray, I don't know, but I, I do know that. That sounds like a lifestyle product Gibson would put out. Yeah, well, no, no what I'm saying is, though, come on, you cannot tell me. Not, not, um, Gibson, Gibson's new brand of uh, body spray yeah. will be called Nitro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be called Beato. <laughs> Nitro. Uh, <laughs> Your hair will never be less gray. Um, oh my God! Hey, Rick, you know we love you. We do. We really do. Um, yeah, we both listen to his show. I mean, yeah, we and we're both fans. I'm right? not. I'm not a big. I'm not a big follower, but I'm not know, a big I, follower. But I do. I do own his stuff. I own the the Beato book. I own the. You know. So, um, what I what I'm trying to say here is this though that I don't wake up in the morning and go, I wonder what Rick Beato plays for a guitar, and I should play one. That's what I. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, and well, it's not just that. Like, this is like giving. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody like completely out of left field. Let's let's do this. This is like giving Barack Obama a signature guitar. Like yeah. nobody identifies Rick Beato with guitar playing. They identify him with being a producer or an engineer, and that kind of thing based on his channels. So this whole idea that Rick Beato should now be, you know getting a Gibson signature guitar and selling to guitar players just seems psycho to me. Well, like this, this is, this is like, 
um, lifestyle brand kind of stuff. Right. Where it's like, well, right. we want to identify with this guy. Right. And, you know. Um, now, if you watch his channel, he does play and he does play well and all that stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not beating on that. What What I get at is he also plays. He plays um, uh, Dan Electro. He plays Fender. He plays. Yeah, I don't he think. Plays I don't think wacky stuff. I, I don't think Gibson wants to be the brand that Fender is right now, which is you can't play anything else but our instruments on stage. Like yeah. that has been, that has been a thing. And I don't know how low, how it is in the lower echelon of Fender artists. Cause I don't really follow a lot of them, but Fender has been kind of brutal to some of their artists. And yeah. um, we've talked about it on the show before, but like, you know, you got to play Fender electrics. And then if they really get ticked, they can ask you to play Fender acoustics. And that has caused some very notable names to walk oh, and go to places like PR, PRS. I got to tell you, because um, a Fender acoustic, I have never, not once, have I played a Fender acoustic and went, wow, that's good tone. Um, I'm not saying so, it doesn't exist. Well, what I'm, what I'm setting up here is that Gibson is taking more the PRS route with their artist program now, which is PRS sells artist guitars, right? Um, they don't expect anyone to use just their guitars. Right, and you can see that some of the artists they've signed don't use just their guitars, right? Um, and that's fine. Like I don't realize, or I don't, I don't really see any problem with that. And I think most people say that that's more genuine. Yeah, is if somebody has a PRS model, but then there for these other three songs they use these other guitars. Like that's right. not a big problem, right? And if you watch Gibson TV and you watch Mark Agnesi's shows where he'll go through, um, it's kind of like that TV show where people would do, was Cribs. Was it called Cribs? Yeah. Yeah. Where they would go through and they'd look at their TVs and their cars and everything else. Well, <clears throat> um, they've got a similar show where they go through and, yeah, the first few guitars, they figure, okay, if you're going to watch for the first 10, 15 minutes, you're going to watch Gibson's. But after that, they'll pull out a Telecaster. They'll pull out a Stratocaster. They'll pull out some weird thing they've been playing. So so maybe <clears throat> maybe the the – Maybe the fact that Rick doesn't just play Gibsons is is okay, but I still don't associate Rick Beato no, that's as the a guitar problem. player as a as a YouTube celebrity. Yes, but yeah, no more that's... than I do Phil McKnight. I don't I don't wake up in the morning and go. I wonder what Phil McKnight plays. I don't care. I don't care. Not because Phil McKnight's a bad guy or that. Yeah, I mean, like it's not. You don't. I don't it's just not important. I don't and, think and of what's my and it comes to the question you asked me earlier this week. Um, when I said I wanted to look at a at a Telecaster, you said it's not what you said. You said which one should I go buy? Yeah, which and I one said, should I get? Right. <laughs> That's right. And, and and you 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 shot me off the ledge, or you know pulled me off the ledge, or spoke. No, I shot you anyway. down. I did. I shot you. Yeah, yeah you <laughs> took me down. And, and and the truth is, it was true because you asked me a very simple question, and and it was and it was a one sentence question. Who's your favorite yeah. Telecaster player? Yeah, because I have one. Uh, I mean, other than Brad Paisley. Yeah, but I mean, like the the point was know. that the point was that you you're not in that genre, no. right? So, like, That's what I'm saying. For me, it was a very simple answer to your to your query, which is that unless you have a specific sound in your head you're after, you don't need one, right? Um. No one, no one needs anything except no. for like one instrument or two instruments, you know. Yep. Uh, and in that case, there's a, now we're getting into the specifics of an instrument, which makes it even more complicated. But right, um, but, but as far but as Beato's concerned, like 
this 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 whole thing is just yeah. Well, it would be it's like, like if, it's it's about like when they signed Jerry Cantrell of Alice in Chains as an artist guy, when everybody knows that he's been partial to GNL for like he's been what, right twenty years. When you think I about mean, right, when you think about Cantrell, and and I gotta give him credit. Okay, let me give let me give give some credit on the same side as saying I don't think it was a good idea. I'll give him credit, Jerry Cantrell. Will was during the interview that Gibson gave him on their very channel. They have a there's a great interview with Cantrell on, on Gibson TV. Yep, it's over an hour long. I'm going to say it's close to two hours, might even be more. But anyway, Cantrell goes goes on and on, and one of the things that he says about his guitars is that his G and L is on every freaking song, every every album that G and L is on there. And he doesn't yeah. say, and my Gibson this, or and my Gibson. Oh, he, he doesn't even give them an honorable mention when it comes to that time frame. Right. He does mention how much he loved Gibsons in the beginning, which a lot of us do. Okay, so so you give him that. And he, and he enjoys his Gibsons now. But there's a huge spot in the Cantrell Library. And we'll talk about another artist that they say may be going to Gibson here shortly, that there was a rumor on Trogley's guitar show that had this. Um, but uh, and he's a metal guy. But <clears throat> there's there's this huge Cantrell area era where it's GNL. So I give Gibson props for giving him that position. But yeah, I, and yeah. but but the funny part about his situation was they made him a brand ambassador, right? Like <laughs> they, they didn't they didn't make him just a, a signed artist. They were like, no, this guy's going to represent the brand, even though he's representing this other brand. I'm like, what the hell? Is this he's about? not going to quit playing his GNLs. That would be right, ridiculous, right. and it would be and it would be um, a signal to anyone if he stopped playing that GNL. It would be a, a a signal that none of this is sincere. Right, right, and. uh He's not going to do that. Gibson's not going to ask him to do that, which I give him actually their AR team over there. It sounds like they did a complete 180 because we went from that period where people were literally walking out the door. Um, yeah. And now it's like they flip and yeah, all of a sudden knocking on the door. back to the, to where they should be. But um, <clears throat> this whole artist relation thing, just like, it just kills me. So like Jared Dines getting his signature guitar and stuff. And I'm like, how is this even happening right now? Like, why are people looking at these people? Like, I listen, it goes back to that episode we did a couple of weeks ago where we talked about the guitar companies propping up artists and like becoming sort of a label in, the, in and of themselves. And I kind of look at the situation and I said, that is, this is the opposite of that, right? This is, let's find people that already have huge market outreach and who really aren't actually a good fit for us and let's sign him as let's sign him as an artist because we need their we need their billboard right and, and then, that's what this is that's it's nothing more than that well i mean yeah so if you look at who gibson has had on their show recently like i said they had uh um, I mean, Bottomas has always been there, and Bottomas is another one. Bottomas should have been a brand ambassador. He should yes. have been the one that they were like, "That guy's the brand ambassador." But what's funny is they've never asked him to say, "Oh, you know what? Can you play this Gibson a little bit more?" I mean, maybe on the side they have, but the guy well, plays I, just as much Fender as Gibson. I think that may be part of the reason why they didn't want him as a brand ambassador because it would have been too obvious. Yeah, 
And so they go with Slash, who's like the the, less, the consummate Les Paul guy. Yep. And then they get, you know, Jerry Cantrell to fill out the second spot, which is kind of funny. But I, maybe Bonamassa becomes one at some point. But I think that they also realize Bonamassa is going to do what Bonamassa does. And so if he makes the deci- decision to uh, sell all his Les Pauls and go to, you know, PRS, <laughs> he's going to yeah. do it. You know, and they're not going to stop him. That's right. Bonamas is going to do what Bonamas wants to do, and and they see him. They know. I mean, n- nothing negative in this in this statement. Bonamas is a loose cannon. He does whatever he wants, and he's not going to uh, um, take his. Uh, um, he's not going to let them uh, tell him what to do in any way, shape, or form. Um, right. But the the next person that I heard now, this is still a rumor. Um. He is leaving Dean. Is uh, um, Dave Mustaine? Yeah, I mean, I could see that Dean's falling apart right now. That house of cards is collapsing fast. I mean, they lost. Uh, they lost um, Michelangelo Batio, right? Just, just recently, and yes. then he went over to Amazon Guitars, basically. <laughs> um, Did that just get and- delivered? No. Huh? Oh, all right. Thank you. Hey. Ernie Ball. I got something from Ernie Ball. I that didn't even know I had great anything. Timing. I was so, going to say that's great timing. So it's timing. I, I can <laughs> do an unboxing on the show. Um, so I don't know what it is. I literally don't know what this is. Um, but uh, It's probably an Ernie Ball box, but it's probably a no little white, little white box of 16 ohms. No, it's a little small for that. I'll be damned. Tell this in you. Yeah, I, I I think I remember. It it is timely in what we're talking about. So so, so anyway, yeah, I, I think that Mustaine is doing the right thing. Go ahead. You were talking about well, the, if he if he flips, I mean, I, if he flips, um, it Dean is falling apart over there though. Like they've they've been losing a lot of artists right and left. I don't think the company's doing so hot. I think like you can see some of those smaller builders are just getting their ass kicked right now. Uh, Dean is one of them. BC Rich is another one um, who, you know, because they had a sordid period in the 90s. And of course, Dean, Dean really hasn't had success since Dean Zielinski was there. I mean, that was that's the way that it's been talked about in my area. And they're a local company. Um, the other company that actually it's kind of affectionately like the same thing is Washburn. Um, Washburn's made some cool guitars over the years, but Washburn... I mean, the the company itself, I knew somebody used to work there. They called them washboards. Um, that's how they refer to their guitars. So um, I just, you know, I, I can't imagine um, people like Dave Mustaine, who's got so much writing on his endorsement, would stay with Dean. Um, and if and if Gibson's looking, that, that would be a good fit for him. Um, you know, him, his love of V's. Um, maybe he'll play that that Gibson V, the the polymodern V or whatever the the modern the V Star Trek one. Yeah, the Star Trek emblem. I actually kind of like it. The show, he'll tap it. And he'll say, "Beam me up." Yeah, I I I don't think I'd buy one in any in any alternate universe. I just kind of like to look at. I don't think it's I don't think it's on me. I know what this is now. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So speaking of um, slash. I saw this online and paid a ridiculous amount of money. Um, 
given what it is. But they never say they sent it. Every time I looked at my thing, it said that it was still processing. So I was actually surprised that it came. It is a tin. It is a string tin. It's a string tin. Uh, Ernie Ball signature strings slash eleven forty eights. Now you know me. I use I use nine forty. That's what I was gonna say. Like, what the hell did you buy those for? I mean, I can sling elevens on a on a Gibson, but it is kind of a it, it, it is a collector's thing. I'll probably leave it in the tin and never use them. So. Uh, never open them. This thing is kind of 3D. I don't know if you can see that. This is kind of it's 3D. Embossed. Embossed. Some, yeah, embossed. Uh, there's three packs like this. So, can I just can I just say Jim is the only person I know that would buy collector strings? Oh no, <laughs> that's that's not the worst of what I've done. No. So I can I can only imagine. Yeah. So I I ordered a I ordered an item. You know about this. Um, yep. It's on the way. It's something you already have, so not not uh, anything out of the ordinary. Uh, but something that came up in the group. I got this. Okay. Yeah, now, and that makes sense. Yeah, this makes sense. Um, now, am I going to keep it? I don't even know if I'm going to take it out of the box. I'm going to return it. Um, I got it because I was thinking, okay, I have a TU3, but they say that this thing is like the ultimate these are the ultimate um in tuning precision i mean i mean the only real the real advantage there is that it's a strobe tuner it's a digital strobe which means it's not really a strobe right but it's i mean when the when the first peterson strobe started coming out people were like oh yeah that's what i wanted this one i saw them on everybody's boards and then it was like okay i'm over it and when the tu3 came out with the strobe mode and now the polytune has strobe mode. It yep. just kind of doesn't do anything for me. That said, the display on that is wonderful, um, and and that would be the reason to keep it. If you if you have trouble seeing your TU three on stage, that's a good alternative. Yeah, that's um, the only thing that the TU two used to be great, and the TU three the only jump you have is the Waza. The, the basically only, the same. I yeah. had both. The only thing that the TU three. Um, has or does it's really just a new tu2 it's a tu2 with some underpinnings yeah well it has the the strobe mode right and i've accidentally gone to the strobe mode before the strobe mode on it is more difficult to control i would imagine that one as large as this would be a little more easy to see i don't know i mean i have i'm I'm fine with mine i think if you're comfortable using a strobe tuner i think it becomes a lot easier to navigate and use no i just Um, as far as seeing it I, I'm old. I, my this eye is practically useless. I can open this eye and see just as easily, but I kind of look weird, so I, I open both eyes. But the truth is, this eye, I, I, it's a fuzzy mess. Everything I see is a fuzzy yeah, mess. Yeah, I mean, I, so that'll be a good that'll be a good purchase for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly, like, I saw it, and I was like, eh, I wish I had one, but... Um, I've always wanted one of the Peterson strobe tuners because I always thought that that uh, because Peterson builds tuners, you know, like that's what they do. Yes. That would produce a really good tuner unit. But it was funny because I saw the strobe, the strobo stomp when it first came out was like on everybody's board. And then all at once it just disappeared. Yeah. And it wasn't like boss like signed up a bunch of people to use TU2s or whatever. It was just like 
people didn't see a real benefit to having that over over a boss TU2 or TU3 or a Polytune. Or, yeah, it's weird um, because I remember the Peterson Drove Tuner coming out um, while I had my TU2, and I went, eh. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people probably actually had that reaction, but it was just weird because I I know that you know seeing pictures of people's boards and stuff. I was like, everybody's using one. What the hell, you know? Especially the guys they had like four or five pedals. Like that was all they used. They had one of those because they were like, I have to be totally in tune. Like that's yeah, you know, yeah. they're well, the sticklers for it. You know? Yeah, I have my reasons for having done what I did. Um, so. Uh, I also bought because we've had one in the store forever. Um, I bought the uh, the Telecaster um, uh, cutting board because I figured if I don't have a Telecaster, the least I can do is cut meat on a board. <laughs> oh my god! It was actually cheaper than a cutting board at Walmart. Did you already have like, a cutting board? I do, I have a plastic one. Okay. I don't have a wooden one. Right. An oil. Well, you know the one. one sanitary than a plastic one. I know. Just, I, I um, yeah. The the fact is that I wanted one that I could oil and and uh, use for different things. But anyway, um, so uh, the um, uh, I've got a uh, Captor X coming, as you know. I don't know anything about that product. Yeah, you don't know a damn thing. You're gonna. You, the you do know I'm gonna be there. calling you like in the middle of the night. Dave, now, David, how do I do this? You won't need to because it's not that hard. Yeah, get that's the app what I'm on hoping. your phone. It's, it's it's basically the same deal as the Spark. You get the app on your phone. You dial into it. Once you get familiar with the app, and it's going to take a little bit because there's a lot of stuff there. Once you get familiar with the app, you won't need to call me. You'll be like, Just do this, and I'm done. Um, I don't. I haven't tweaked mine in forever. I mean, I use the attenuator probably more than I use the use the direct out on it, but um. I'm going to be using the direct out more. I'm writing some music and I'm I actually got blisters on my fingers from playing parts that I've never played before. Um, and doing things that I've never done before. Uh, but yeah, so the, um, I have the captor back there. You got the 16 ohm version. So that's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. Not... It, it, because yeah, the, the 16 ohm is better for the, for the, um, hey, because what I want to do is put it between the amp and the speaker on the um on the uh, Marshall. Can we talk about Mason Marangella for a minute? Hmm? Mason Marangella. What's the, the big doctor? Big doctor. Oh, the oh. guy that runs Vertex Effects. Yeah. So he did a countdown, and I watched it today, and and I do watch his stuff, but I'm like I'm very skeptical because obviously he's got a history of doing things that are questionable. Um, if you want to know more about that, ask me in the group. I'll. I'll I'll clue you in on the things that we know have actually happened, and some of the other things that have been suggested may have happened. Um, so anyway, he does his countdown of the ten best products for pedal boards in twenty or well, he said ten best rig products in twenty twenty. And one of the things he brought up was the Sir Reactive Load IR, and his justification for this over something like the Captor was basically that the Sir Reactive Load IR is the only reactive load box right now that has a true reactive load in it and i'm like i i just saw i i, I paused it when i heard this and i just shook my head and they go what are you on like 
there are at least three products, including the Sir Reactive Load right now, that have reactive loads in them and do IRs. There's the Mesa Cab Clone IR Plus yep. and IR, right? So that's arguably two products. There's the Cab Clone. Another Cab Clone. That's, the, that's what I was talking about, the Mesa Cab Clone. There's the Captor X, which I have never heard anyone say what Mason said next, but I will get there in a second. And then there's the Sir Reactive Load Box IR. And I'm sure there's probably at least one other product I'm leaving out of this mix that that does this. Right. And he goes on. I, I unpause after I kind of, you know, did the. And he says. Um, he says the other products are some sort of hybrid IR or hybrid reactive load. That they have a resistor in the in the reactor portion of it and that that has any bearing on it whatsoever and i just kind of shook my head and i was like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about like he honestly because because number one he provides no proof for the claim he just made shooting down other products there are other other times he's made he's made some pretty compelling arguments for things like going to soldered cables as opposed to solderless systems although i have my doubts on his uh, at least as some of his comments about brands like like um, George L's, which uh, he basically he poo-poo's George L's and says that they don't they don't sound good and they're and they're un- horribly unreliable. I tell you this right now, and I and I tell you as listeners, um, I have a local shop who builds who builds boards for people all the time with George L cables. Basically, never heard of a failure from them, and I've asked. Um, I had a board that I had for five years with more cables than you've probably seen, and it not a one failed. Now, granted, when I put them together, if I didn't put them together right, they didn't work to begin with. Right. But the reality was I figured that out real, real quick, and then they worked completely all the time. But my point is that Mason Marigella is making comments that he's not backing up. So, like, it'd be nice if he said if he said this, and then he said, here's a, here's a picture of this load box on the inside, and right here is this and this, and this is, means it's a hybrid. Nobody said that. No one. And there are people taking this stuff apart and looking at the insides of it. And nobody is on, on you know, the gear page right now screaming and crying and saying, the Captor X is a hybrid reactive load. Or that the Mesa Cab, Cab Clone IR, which is probably farmed out to Captor, or farmed out to um, um, Torpedo, uh, or two notes, they, they, they're probably sitting there going, you're smoking dope. Like, what are you on? Um, they're not, they're not hybrid reactive loads. There's no, like, and if they are, I can't tell the difference between the, between the feel of the amp, between that and being plugged in. I can tell the difference between the sound, right? Obviously. Um, but, but feel wise, it doesn't come plugged into my cab. Um, you guys are all smoking dope. If you think that that matters that much, uh, for a product yeah. that's $550 to be a, a, um, non-reactive load or whatever now there are other products like the hk red box the uh which these aren't this is why i got pissed because i'm like these aren't even ir based so you can't compare these cab clone uh the red box the blue box well the blue box is ir based but that is and that has no load in it that is a speaker through with an output um i just and two notes does make one that I wonder if he's he's got his his products mixed because Two Notes does make an item um, that is what is it the 
the two notes torpedo. It's not the captor. It's the, the one captain. where the well, the one where you plug in your your speaker out and you and you still have to go to your load. You have to yeah. load that. That's the cab that it? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Cab M does both. And then of course they had the first captor, which didn't have IRs in it. Right. Or if it did, it was only one IR. Right. Um I I just like look. This is this is the same thing that we say with any time we hear some of the snake oil stuff come up. Pay attention and do your own due diligence before you buy something. Right. Don't let somebody like Mason Marangella decide for you on something like this. No, he was I mean, still doing videos. Oh, dude, he's got he's got like hundreds of Rig Doctor videos. Huh. Um okay. and like some of them have good information in them or they'll like, they'll clue you in. If you're a complete noob, like you'll understand some things that you didn't understand before. Some of the other things that he does on his channel are like, this is all personal opinion. And uh, like, there's a, a the, the cable video, right? He talks about um, conversations with Bob Bradshaw and uh, Pete Cornish and people like that. He does. He's never had a conversation with either of those guys. Like well, that's a bunch of crap. He may I, I not mean, have. I, I, it would make sense that he would, given what his his uh, specification or his, you know. Both his... of those dudes are really reclusive, and I doubt they're sharing sharing trade secrets with him. I mean, that's that's my that's my skepticism. There, it's yeah, like if his name was David Gilmore, he might have had a conversation. With yeah, him. I mean, I've I, I've met people who have had Bradshaw rigs like over the years. And, and or have had, you know, Pete Cornish pedals or Cornish. that kind of stuff. And it's like, that's like a whole nother league of custom product, you know. Right. So nobody who's build, building boards is building custom products. That's in like, the league of, not, yeah. of uh, Dumble when it comes well, to Bradshaw and, and Cornish as far as. Uh, I, I think the, I think Bradshaw's like one tier under Dumble. But yeah, in the same ballpark. In the, yeah, what uh, I mean is that you don't just. You know what? Today I'm gonna to get it. You're, you're not just a guitar player that plays in his house, and oh, you know what? Today I'm gonna to get a Cornish rig. I mean, you can, but you got to know somebody who can get a hold of somebody to. I I think that I think that he has probably met used. both of them in passing, um, or maybe had some phone conversations about rigs that he's working on for other people or that kind of thing. But I I highly doubt that those guys are telling him you know, hey, you should use only soldered cables because that's what we do. And, like, we do it this special way and use epoxy to fill in the jack and all this other stuff. Like, I have a feeling that that kind of conversation doesn't go on with those dudes because that's that's how they make their money. I mean, there's still people that buy Bob Bradshaw rigs. You don't believe me? Right. Go on uh, go on uh, huge racks and, and take a look. I mean, it's still a thing. Yeah. Um, so I I just... If you're if you're putting together your first pedal board, and you're going to Mason Marangella and you're watching the videos just to kind of get an idea of what's going on, and then you're gonna you're gonna do some research and you're actually gonna do it yourself, like and do it really well, um, yeah, there's a lot of good information there, and I actually think that like he's got some some good opinions too, like he talks about the Mesa Boogie buffer being one of the great buffers and and stuff like that, but there are also things he says that are like, dude, take a lot of salt with with what he's saying. Um, because for most of us, especially, you know, you're not, you're, you don't need tour grade. Like the vast majority of us don't probably need tour grade. We'd be fine with, you know, weekend warrior grade, which I, is. I think that what, what happens with pedal boards, 
and I think we could take this in another direction is that, that, okay, look, I'm not sure how you looked at your first pedal board. So I, my first pedal board wasn't a board. It was just two pedals that had a, bo- a wire between them. Yeah, with cables had, between it. Yeah. And I had nine volt batteries in both of them. And I had a nine volt, a couple of nine volt batteries in my bag just in case they went out. Right. So, um, and it was a TU2. And um, if I remember right for a while, I, I, I know I had a chorus. I had, yeah. Um, uh, the, the yeah, that old chorus that you got CD3 laying around. You should whatever it was. Yeah, I've got I've got an original, a really old CD3. '90s or late '80s uh, uh, Bosch chorus, and I, and uh, that was pre TU two. And yeah. back then, I had a DS one and a chorus. I didn't know which one to put where, and and notably, my my tone suffered as a result. But the but the next thing I did I had was a, um, that in the uh, there, there was a um, a dual. Uh, uh, what do you call it? A a two level um distortion pedal. It was oh the MXR du- double shot. It's okay, a, yeah, it was like that, that or like a Jekyll and Hyde or something like yeah. that. Because yeah, I yeah, mean, Jekyll and Hyde was the H two O or or well visual sound. Right. Mine was definitely um the double shot. And the guy that I played with had a board, a board. Okay, his board was literally a board, and he had. He had a sparkle drive, of, um, uh, a uh, and his sparkle drive. I think Keeley was still doing uh, mods back then, or something like yeah. Yeah, it was something. You didn't like, need sparkle drive. That thing sounds great anyway. So yeah, he, he actually had Keeley take. Keeley did a mod where he took a little bit of the sparkle off or something. I don't know. It might have not been Keeley. It might have been somebody else. It might have even been Wampler for all I know. Um, I just remember he had it modded by somebody. So he had a modded sparkle drive and he had a, um, uh, and this was, this was in the days of everybody had to have modded stuff, right? This was late, late nineties, early two thousands. Everybody was modding shit. And, uh, the other one, uh, that he had, he had a TU2 and he had a third pedal. And so (laughs) Hit three pedals, and I was like, "Wow!" And of course, a wah pedal. I'll, I'll like, went, yeah, 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 it was. And so, I said to him, "I said, geez, how are you powering those?'" And he goes, "Oh, yeah, there's this new thing. It's you know, and it wasn't called the one spot at the time; it was something else, and it was, and it was just a, a ganged power supply. But I, what I'm getting at is this: we gigged everywhere, and we did a ton of gigs. And we were we were southern rock meets pop type stuff, so we would go from being um, Leonard Skinner and and uh, Molly Hatchet to being um, I guess at the time uh, it would have been Three Doors Down or you know something like yeah, that. Yeah, whatever whatever pop rock radio crap was out. Yeah, whatever was most popular at the time, and uh, so. I was over there singing. I didn't think too much of it. And I never thought too much about the fact that my two pedals just sat on the ground and did their thing. And, and I kept wondering, and I did finally buy one of those little boss, like, you know, things. And, uh, what's funny is I had three little dongles. It was probably more dangerous than any nine volt battery. Cause I had, I had three little freaking nine volts just sitting there tailing off. And if somebody dropped beer on the floor, it would have been but, um, it, it's just it, it makes me laugh because we didn't have pe- I didn't have a pedal go out. I, I hit the tuner to to mute the sound. 
plug the other guitar in and go. Nine times out of ten, I use a tuner to tune anything. I had already tuned up, you know, at the beginning of the show. And maybe during the second break or something, if it was a cold night and it was near the door. Um, otherwise, I didn't care. And and I think now to these people that are spending um, – and we're going to talk about another thing here in a minute, um, another, another point I had written for tonight. I'm kind of dominating tonight as far as the, the stuff we're talking about. But um, the pedal board – people are spending more on their pedal boards than they're willing to spend on some of their guitars. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to put, we've talked about this before with pedals, right? I mean, we, we talked about my pedals. If you Yeah. Buy- that's the actual pedals on the board. But I mean, right. like there's people buying, like, I forget what the name of the company is, but it's, they're in Germany, but they have the, the two tiered pedal, pedal board right. with the cover yeah. and they're like seven or $800. They're buying those. They're buying the gig rig, which is a thousand bucks, and then the gig yeah. rig power supply and all the modular components. And you're like, before they're done and over with, before they even actually put any pedals on the board, they're they're a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars in the hole. And it's then they're just, running it into a spider, a line six spider, and, a, and well, a, yeah, um, or even just you know whatever cheap squire amp, yeah, or or worse yet, <clears throat> um, I guess it's not too bad running it into a. Uh, um, uh, like a line six helix or, um, you know, something like that. And then, or, or a line six, uh, what do you call it? Um, the little, the little, the little one. And, um, and then running that into the board, not even running it into one amp. And I'm like, what? And I mean, it's your money. Spend it however you want. I mean, you, yeah. I mean, it's like, so here, here, here's my, here's my takeaway from this. Then we can switch topics. When you have a board, like the board's function is to make your stuff portable. Number one, yep. number two, to make your stuff reliable. Number, yep. which is number two, and to provide you with something you could just pull out and play with, and not have to like set up a bunch of cables and make sure all your settings are correct because you've been carrying them around in a milk crate or whatever. Um, and believe <laughs> me, you all know you've done it. Um, so here, here's like the the pedal thing. Just kind of, kind of the whole pedal idea just kind of makes me laugh. Uh, the pedal board idea when you have like your rig where you had three pedals, it's like, just buy a couple extra patch cables. Like there's no, that you, I mean, for, for the kind of gigs you were probably playing at the time. Yeah. You didn't need a board for that. I mean, honestly, like you got two pedals, as long as you got power on the floor somewhere where you can actually plug into and you can protect the power cables or you're going to run them with batteries. God forbid you run a rig on batteries now. I mean, they don't even make pedals with batteries in them anymore or with battery jacks anymore half the yeah. time. I mean, I, I can't tell you. Um, there was a pedal I bought recently where I was like, oh, I'll just open this and put a battery in it and try it out. And I opened it up and I was like, are you effing kidding me? I have to have a power supply to try the pedal. Yeah. I was like, this is just dumb. Um, so for for all for a, you know, a two, a two cent battery plug yep. or a seven cent battery plug. Yeah. I mean, it's just it, it, maximizing uh profits I, um it, it, it's ridiculous um not that i think that batteries look the whole effect of batteries on the earth and all the other stuff i i get it the nine volt battery is a is a horrible um thing it doesn't last very long they um, when they start to go they you know they're off at 8.6 volts and then there's people that oh that's how I like my batteries they drain them <laughs> it's like, 
You see, this is this is a super heavy duty. You know what this is? This is a carbon zinc battery. This, yeah. is, this is what I use. I prefer these in my drive pedals yeah. when I want to use batteries, which my Sunface is a battery only pedal. Yep. This is what it runs. And that's what um, you I, buy, I buy five or six of them at a time at the dollar store, five bucks, and they're horrible on the environment. But when somebody figures out how to make one that isn't horrible on the environment that makes my pedal sound good, I'm all in. Yep. <laughs> Same thing with tubes. Part of the reason why tubes stopped, stopped getting made is because they were bad on the environment. Yep. Yep. Those gases and that, that stuff they put in the tubes aren't exactly great. Um, so moving moving to the next thing, um, talking about um, uh, pedal boards, um, is so I saw a video today where uh, – actually a few videos. We should talk about the video you told me about, though. We should talk about that because I, I just want to talk about first world lightning problems. Oh, I, oh, Rhett Shull. You know, I, know I wanted to mention his name, but I do want to talk about him. Yeah, right. let's. I'll just, let's, I'll just call it out. I'll call it. I'll, I'll call it. Do you let, let, let me watch. Let me start because I yes, have. I, I was. I immediately unfollowed. Like it, it was that bad. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, Rhett Shull posted a video about. Um, I forget what it, and I'm not going to go look it up. I, I don't have the, the skilled, boot, but, but basically said, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out. I think and that's what it's called. Yeah. It's like, I'm burnt out, which is total clickbait, right? Like this is nothing more than an ad for the projects he did last year that he's going to continue to do through the beginning of 2021 because ain't nobody working. Right. So, um, and he, and he goes on to talk about how it's just been a really hard year and not being able to play out in clubs and stuff has been really rough on him. And uh, he, he's just, he's been having a tough time creatively and like he needs to, he needs to figure a situation out and move forward. And then he taught, and then he proceeds to talk about the live streaming project that he's done for the last six months where he's charging admission and all the different stuff that's going on with regards to that and how, you know, I, I basically, this was my takeaway from it. Two days before, he did a video talking about, you know, whatever new product he had just been sent, right? And he's in his his home studio that is, like, fully stocked pro-level gear in there. And with his Dumble sitting next – his his not his Dumble, but his, his Dumble clone sitting next to his $8,000 yep. Dumble clone. And yep. uh, his $900 um, – uh, he was talking about his $900 Fuzz. You know, and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. You are actually having a video where you're bitching and complaining about being burnt out in in a world where other musicians who are being more sensible and trying to take care of themselves. And and, and I'll make some comparisons between Rachel and some other players before I before I give the floor to Jim. But you're actually going to pretend that your problem that you're burnt out is more significant than the fact that the rest of them can't eat. Or that they, they they literally cannot pay their bills right now, like it it was just so disingenuous. Like go to hell. I I I I looked at my wife. I explained the problem to her for a second, and I just turned around and I unfollowed. I was like, dude, there's just no point. Like you're an asshole. If you think that for for any reason that you should be above anyone else and their problems, I'm creatively burnt out. I got all this money. I got free stuff sent to my house. I can put on eBay to pay the bills. You know. Uh, but I'm going to pretend that woe is me because I'm creatively burnt out. Screw you. Um, 
so here's 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 a, a takeaway from this, right? So we, I've been watching other YouTube guitar players who are great guitar players, mind you, just like him. Um, which he, I don't think he's that great. I think he's a, I think he's a Black Keys clone myself. But um, looking at you did mention that, uh, yeah. Um, looking at some of the other players that that um, are you know like on YouTube, but are also real professional players, guys like Josh Smith, right? Josh Smith and Rhett Scholl. Let's make this very clear. Josh Smith is probably what I would consider B-list, as in, like, he's not going to sell out stadiums, right? Neither is Rhett Schull. But Rhett Schull doesn't even have, like, a, a, I don't think Rhett Schull has enough pull to actually tour as himself. I think he's a C-list or a D-list player, right? But here's the here's the rub. How many $15,000, you know, increments has Josh Smith spent on spent on gear that isn't making him money? How many fifteen thousand dollar increments have has, has um, uh, Brett spent that isn't making him money? And it's like it's really wild to me because you know that he bought he like the Mercari fuzz he bought. Um, I've heard by the way I've heard a wide range of how much he paid for that thing. I've heard everything from eight hundred up to fourteen hundred dollars. So um, who knows? You know. Um, but that's for the tone bender Mark one, I think he bought. And then of course he's got, I mean, he's got every freaking pedal. Like when you, when you hear him do like, Oh, I'm building a pedal board and he shows his video. It's like, he just starts pulling stuff out of a hat and you're like, the hell is that? Like, where'd you get that from? Yeah. I can't feel, uh, I can't feel anything for these YouTubers. Any of them. I don't care which one it is. Uh, you know, whether it's music or win or whatever, but none of them did this disingenuous, I'm creatively burnt out. Yeah, grow up. Yep, we're so... all creatively burnt out right now. Here I am sitting in my house, and I'm creatively burnt out. You want to know why the podcast sucked for three months? That's why. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was burnt do out. Why, do you know why we didn't release any for weeks? It's because we just were like, ah, oh, burnt out. It's burnt out. But you know, we didn't yeah. say to everybody. Oh. Yeah, we we, we whining, complained about it. I mean, it's just you know, we explained, hey, we got some stuff going on, and. We didn't get them out. We didn't say, oh, you know, so let me set the stage for this. I'm going to put that back into the middle of the thing. So here's here's Rhett Shaw. This is what the video looked like. You can't see it, but I've got it up on my screen here. Oh, you're going to show the the drama? Yeah. So here's the the Rhett Shaw video. Now, the whole time it looks like this, guys. Look at – notice that it looks like he's sitting in a room with the lights out and just the sunlight coming in like – Oh, I I can't even turn you know I can't even turn on lights or something I don't know, and there's like, like myself, legit cinematography involved in this in this composition of this shot like yeah, it's like it's like how do I make people more depressed about me? Yeah, it, and he talks about his uh, you know I'm creatively depressed. I'm so burned out, and he in the video whether he meant to or not. This is where this is a bigger it's a broader problem, and I don't want to pick on Rhett, although Rhett is kind of like right now being the token of this, you know, this whole thing is, yeah, this is, is really about a, a bigger issue Yeah, is I'm privileged. Um, and I grew up likely with helicopter parents. Um, and, uh, and, um, I've got all this stuff. So the only, I've got to be able to bitch about something. So I'm going to bitch about bitching about stuff. And, and it's I mean, like, it's like, look, Rhett, Rhett, we we have it good. Do you understand that? 
you, you rat, probably got the $600 stimulus check, okay? You're, you, which is as good as anybody else got, okay? It, it, as much as you want to make fun of it. You probably got, um, uh, you've, you've definitely got all this stuff free from all these companies. The, Mary Spender took the exact opposite. Mary Spender went, I've got it good, and I want to share it with people. Um, uh, who's the guy uh, from Ohio with the long hair? Skinny. I forget his name offhand. What's that? I forget his name offhand, but I know you're talking about. Baker? Something Baker? Yeah, it's Robert Baker. Robert Baker. That's it. <clears throat> Robert Baker. I'm giving away a guitar. It's good. Life is good for me. I'm giving this away. Nobody even bought it. I bought it. I demoed it. I'm giving it away. Trogley. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm doing such good. I'm doing so well. I want to I want to make things good for people. I mean, I see this everywhere, all of these guys. And then I see Red Shull. And I'm like, yeah, what? You had the same reaction that I did. Was like, dude. Uh, so, like, listen, I, I honestly, I have a lot of sympathy for somebody who's creatively burnt out. But if right, you're going to put do. that problem over the front of, like, what's been going on to everyone else, you're a piece of trash. Or yeah. or you're so, so, you're so self-absorbed yeah. that you can't, that you can't understand what's really going on in this world right now. Yeah, Rhett, um, Rhett you got to read the room, brother. You got to read the room. Exactly what it is. He failed to read the room on that one. It's um, you're just like uh, uh, the the governor of California going out and drinking with your buddies and having yeah. dinner while you tell everybody to stay at home. You're, you're right. not reading the room. Yeah, this is not this is not okay. This is not acceptable. Right. Um. So I don't know. I mean, if you're a Brett Show follower and you really like him, let us know in the group what you think. I just, I'm curious. I'm curious, but I'm like I'm just looking at this like as a whole nother a whole nother piece of the pie. Like I have every sympathy for somebody who's burnt out, Yep. but I don't have every sympathy for somebody who makes a video about it and makes out like that's, that's uh, they, they feel that that's more, more important to them right now. The video, the video was 13 minutes and 23 seconds long. Let me stick this screenshot back in the middle of this. The that's video a, is 13 minutes. And I didn't get through half, folks. You can see where the red bar is on my. I, I could not get through the whole thing. It was so dull. His, he had a voice like this, and it just kept going. And I thought to myself, "Man, come on! You've got to make this more interesting." You hire a damn publicist because the publicist yeah. was dumb. Don't do that. Right, right. And that's that's where you should have shown it to your friends. I guess he's got a podcast with a friend now. Um, they call it. Oh, I'm Island. sure he does. He's got to have every avenue he can to get him to flow him gear. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And anyway, um, he he, uh, um, he should have flown it by that guy and some friends. Maybe Beato. Beato probably would have told him, hey, man, I love you, but this ain't it. This Don't do this. Don't do this. I don't know. I mean, go, I, I go read your laundry list. That would be a better I, video. That would have been I have better. a I have a feeling him and Beato are like friends sort of in a way, but I have a feeling well, that that relationship is played up a lot more for their shows than it is real. Yeah, I I, ha well, I have the feeling that it's like Beato has a show and I've worked with him before and I have a show and and my show is getting popular, so maybe we can bounce off each other. 
you know, like I have a feeling it was more mutual, like we know each other sort of thing. And now we're going to pretend to be great friends. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, to, to make it very short, he was Beato's, um, uh, what do you call it? Coffee kid or whatever. The, 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 the person that does work without being paid. Uh, the yeah, I don't know about Red Stroll to even care. He was, I he mean, was his intern. Well, I only followed Beato and Beato was to him that he was his intern. And then when, um, Shell started doing the videos, he said, you should do this and showed him how to do it. And he got him kicked off was, was really where it went. But Beato's had several assistants and stuff since, I mean, Beato has a regular system. His, his, you can tell his videos are polished because he, and that's because he's got a person over there getting him coffee and making sure everything's out. That's what I needed. That was my son a minute ago who brought these in. Um, hey, go higher. <laughs> we have the budget for that. I don't think we have the budget for that. So um, anyway, so uh, yeah, whatever. That's a, that, that's a dead horse. We've beaten it to death. So the next thing I want to talk about is another video I was watching. Um, kind of goes back to that uh, to that thing we were talking about with the pedals. And uh, so Beato and Pierce were talking this week, and it was a very interesting conversation. And one of the things that I'd forgotten about that, that we had kind of touched on before, but I don't think we really delved into was um, was two things. Um, and the first one I want to mention is that, uh, um, that there are people um, – why does, why does the music scene suck so bad is what they were getting at. And the the thing that that both of them uh, agreed on, and then I and and I was uh, I couldn't help but agree as well, is that their their music was better when the, this person made a statement um, that they that they quoted when there was money on the other side of the E chord. In other words, if 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 you had and this is the thing that Tim asked. Uh, Beato, which I thought was int- an interesting question. If there was no money in it, would you have recorded Stairway to Heaven? And I and I think that's very interesting in that I, I know Paige was driven artistically. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that Paige went in there went going, hmm, what should I do to make more money? But I know he was super precise about his recording techniques because he knew that the resulting product was going to sell tickets, it was going to sell albums, it was going to, it was. Think about the things that the lavish lifestyle that, that they had at that time. I mean, the the drugs, the drinking, everything. I'm going to paint a different picture of Paige. Sure. I'm going to paint. I'm going to paint one that I don't think people are super familiar with. I want to paint a picture of Paige as the um, rare book dealer. As the art school graduate, yep. Um, I think Jimmy Page gets gets beat up a lot for being good at business, and I think honestly, I don't think a lot of his decisions were necessarily business motivated. I think, like now, maybe starting Led Zeppelin might have been, maybe doing some of the songs they did might have been, but his stuff in the studio, I think that was all ego stroking. I think he was not ego stroking, but like this is how I paint. Okay. And I'm going to do it in a different way than everybody else, and that's going to be my sonic signature. I, and he was marketing himself. Is yeah, what he was I, doing. I will. I, I agree. I will 
take an analogy from the computer world. If I am a hacker and I decide I'm going to create a virus and I want to infect as many people as I can, am I going to infect Windows or Mac? Actually, I would argue you'd be looking at mobile OSs, but... Well, um, now, yeah. <laughs> what it, what but, it used uh, to be, the, the desktop. Right, machines. right, right. Um, yeah, but now obviously, we, like, the, Windows, the, if, if right. you're not... Yeah, it's the Windows thing if, if you're talking 10 years ago. Right, um, and so if you want to be a famous hacker and you want your ego stroked as a famous hacker, you are going to... to... Now, there's, there's another side of it. There's the side of it that, that hey, I'm the one person that wrote a... Famous, you know, and there was that one guy that wrote the thing that got into the Mac OS a few years ago. This was quite a few years ago now, but well, there have been a lot of a lot of things that have targeted Mac over the years. That's yeah. that's the, the whole idea. That there's the no big malware over there. That, the, yeah. the whole idea that there's no malware over there is just BS. No, no. Um, it, it's it, the fact that there is malware over there, and we don't hear about it. it tells you how little people use it. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, uh, it's it's almost a third of the industry now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's getting it's getting to the point. What? Well, the, see, the thing is, I think that um, I think they're just better about patching stuff, so it doesn't become as big an issue. Right. And since everything's online services now, anyway, most of the attacks aren't focused on the OS anymore. So. Right. And the and the zero day stuff isn't isn't as big because they've got a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that goes on on the other side. But you get you get my point. The analogy can't be perfect. It's got to be. You know, it's as flawed as the. Yeah, else, I just but... I just don't see that like the the guitar play like the guitar tone thing where like he was like picking microphones and putting them behind cabs and using these little super amps and all that right. stuff. I just don't see that that was more that that was him being like um, uh, trying to be more. Um, I, I guess ha- have a wider voice that would reach more people. I think that was more. Let's see what we can get away with kind of thing and like the spirit of rock and roll and probably also emulating some of his heroes. And I get it like that. That could be looked at as like the driving force behind a lot of it could also be something that also made him successful. But I just don't know that that was necessarily the reason why. Um, I don't. Yeah. Again, I don't I don't know. I, but I, but I get I'm what you're using saying. page as I, I and I and I think Pierce was doing the same thing. Just using it as an example. Um, there's a there, I could have chosen a, a bazillion records. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, out here and um going back to the original thing where like him and and uh pierce were talking and um i feel like when you say that statement that that uh money was better it was better when when money was on the other side of the e-cord it seems to me that like they're equating quality music with some days of bygone and I do get where they're saying like, oh, yeah, there was a time period when music was more rich or whatever. But I think that's really just like a personal preference thing for those guys, because I think if you dig, you can still find good music out there. I, I do it all the time. I mean, well, that's OK. Let, it's not easy. Me, like, all right. That's let the change. Me, yeah. Let me take another step. The, the next step of it. I've got a have got 50,000. This is what – I should have laid the groundwork for the conversation first. So they were talking about the fact that Spotify and, and SoundCloud and all these other things, the, these these um, services where you're getting a bazillionth of a penny per play. 
um, now have all the power. And so um, the creation, the, not the, necessarily the creation of the music, decent music wouldn't be there, but um, the, the push of the music um, that uh, comes from uh, stuff is going to be uh, more uh, crowdfund driven than than driven by it's um, more listener it's more listener driven than playlist driven right right and and that is actually the argument i want to make here is that we can bitch about what spotify is paying people and yeah it should change um obviously i think that should change but that's like spilt milk at this point because we've already given the power to the listener to actually decide what to listen to yeah we talked i think we talked about genie back in the bottle well, I think I, I may have talked about this on the show. So a while back, um, Bonamassa has a podcast, right? And he did – or it's like a video podcast. And he did, he, uh, did an interview with um, Brad Paisley. And it was an interesting interview. But anyway, one of the comments that came up was like, do you know why how, – how classic rock radio picks the playlist they pick? And he was saying like well, – you, you immediately think, oh, clear channels. Tell them what to play. Um, and he said, actually, he's like, there's a lot of independent radio stations, especially in that genre in the United States, still left. And they tend to be pretty popular, but the problem is they don't do any market research. Their idea of figuring out what their listeners want to listen to is to do a couple of radio surveys a year and ask them, Hey, do you know this song? Instead of asking, what would you like to hear? They ask, do you know stairway to heaven? You know, it's like, it's just, it's just the wrong way of phrasing those questions. Well, it's just like, you know, you've seen those, um, those guitar world and guitar one and guitar player and everybody else, those lists of the 10 best or the 50 best. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I saw a hundred best horror movie list. I about died on. We talked about it. I think. Yeah. Um, and you've got to do the video because I, I lost all my files, but anyway, yeah. So the, um, uh, the, the, the implosion or the explosion, however you want to look at it. Um, uh, the thing about those, this is the, you'd always get all this, you, you didn't mention Larry Carton, Carlton, or you didn't mention this person. You didn't mention that person. You didn't mention, um, you know, whatever musician. And you're thinking to yourself a hundred, you couldn't find some people out of a hundred that weren't like people they had already talked about that nobody else cared about. Truthfully. And you know what, you know what I found out? When I finally went to go ahead and vote on one of those, because I only voted on one, that I actually didn't even put in my vote. It was kind of like the vote I cast for the last presidential election. <laughs> um, it was um, the the um, the vote was like this. Here's, and it wasn't even like here's a thousand people choose from this thousand. It was. For number one, here's a list. For number two, here's a list. For number three, here's yeah. a list. And I went, are you fucking kidding me? This is how you choose your list? My number one isn't even in the choice for number one. You know? Yeah. They've and already I, whittled it. They've already whittled it down. I mean, that's yeah. – and that's what's so stupid about it is um, th- th- those lists are always – they're just a disaster anyway. But, but, but um, it's 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 – marketed as a list of the readers a reader's choice you know yeah and it's it's not though well they chose but they didn't choose in a way that you think they did which is how they played the game um i 
See, here's the problem with doing something like that. If you're a publisher, right, and you're going to do a um, a reader's choice of greatest guitar player, you know, of current guitar player, right? Who do you think would be at number one right now, given given the things that have happened in 2020? Who do you think would be number one? Because I can tell you, yeah, Eddie Van Halen would be number one, without a doubt, without a doubt. Um, and if you're Guitar Player Magazine, do you necessarily want Eddie Van Halen to show up on your Player's Choice? You want somebody modern who's still alive that you can get an interview with in the issue. I mean, that's that's the um, the oh, holy hell, like, we can't do this kind of mentality. So they do have to manipulate people. Like, they're going to do it. You should yeah. accept that. Um, my, part of my part of my thing with, like, what, what they were talking about, though, is with, with money and, and money-driving industry and money-making good music or whatever. It's like, I don't... I mean, I think good music is good music, right? And I think that there are definitely people that I've run into who make great music, and they are not well-known. And they are not in it for the money. Believe me, if they were in it for the money, they would have quit a while ago. This is, um, uh, yeah, this is a, a conversation we had a while back. And yeah, gonna, yeah. What I would say is this. Go back and listen I'm not, to <laughs> Yeah, I'm not saying that the music doesn't exist or that, they, that, the, um, uh, that there is no good music or that no one is willing to create good music. What I'm saying is they're more the, – the, the companies or entities that can put money behind marketing and getting global notoriety of good music um, are more worried about their brand and the brand of that musician. Let's look at let's look at um uh, at that for a second and say it, they want it to be on orange drinks and Gatorade and yeah, but that's like that goes back to the whole like the way that things were structured in the 80s where you had like the Michael Jackson pop thing where like you know he had a Pepsi sponsored tour and all that stuff and and the last person I know they had like a sponsorship like that and I'm sure there's been other since but it was like Britney Spears right um that was a thing for a while where where you know the the music companies were in bed with other companies to um, sell their product alongside their performer and like this whole like give and take trade thing. But that was limited to pop music. You are not going to find a rock and roll band riding a Pepsi tour bus. Okay. That, that just didn't happen. Um, because that was the, the marketing was always thrown at the ones that they figured these are the easiest ones for us to sell you. Um, and these are the easiest ones to attach a product to. And that's why I'm like, yeah, okay, so Michael Jackson was like a rare freak, right? He's a great music not great musician per se, but like a great performer, great singer. Um, and he understood music very, very well. And he understood the business side of music pretty well. Um and, and who wouldn't? You were born into it. Um and so like he's a rare bird in that instance. Yep. But I can look at like Tons of people that have been on those rosters, like Millie Vanilli and stuff, that <sighs> the music was not good. Like it wasn't great. It was it was good enough to sell records in that time period, but it didn't age well. Um, and that's that's what basically what I'm saying is like this thing exists. I'm sure it still does. I'm sure that um, Katy Perry has sponsorships like that. 
I'm sure there's products behind her that that you know she promotes and promotes for, especially in the fashion industry and that kind of thing. Um, but I don't think that that kind of marketing motif is sustainable in today's business climate because of what they did when they destructured the industry. And what by they I mean um, Napster and I mean Apple and I mean all the other companies that got their hands in the streaming pot um, over the years, including Microsoft, among others. Um, and I sort of like, everybody always says this is like, this is a dangerous thing, right? That, that, um, people are not getting paid for their music and stuff. And like, yeah, it is a dangerous thing. Absolutely. But I think when I look at it, I also go, this gives, gives both the consumer and the performer the opportunity to get in front of people that they never had before. And so it, it makes people who wouldn't necessarily have had a shot. Now, I'm not going to say Billie Eilish wouldn't have had a shot, but I would think that the record company probably would have passed on her. You know, like that would have been one of those situations where they would have looked at her and go, she's not really marketable. Like as much as she's talented, she's not marketable. Um, and I've seen like the tabloids and stuff where, you know, there's pictures of her or whatever. And there's like, they just make her look awful or whatever. And it's like, you kind of, you kind of take a stop and take a step back and you go, it's because she's not, you know, she's not the Katy Perry, right? She's not the Britney Spears. She never was going to be. Um, it was because she is, she is the Joe Bonamassa of the pop world. She she's was an audience created. She was an audience created thing. And the same thing with, with Joe Bonamassa. That's, that's actually where I was headed with this is he's another performer who's selling out arenas. Okay. And what is his shtick? He plays Led Zeppelin to blues, right? Like that's, I mean, that's unheard of he, in 2020, 2019, 2021. Like that's just unheard of. Yeah. And I sit there and go, he did this by himself, but he really didn't do it by himself. Yeah. But for every Bonamassa, and, and I'm not saying that this didn't happen in the past. Please don't think that I don't say that I think that. That for every Bonamassa and for every Billie Eilish, there's a thousand others. And, sure, no, and, there absolutely is. Yeah, and and I think that I think it's hard. The thing I disagree with Pierce, um, and and that conversation is, money will always follow popularity. The only reason that Eilish, anybody, is giving Eilish time of day is because her fans are rabid. They are rabid, I'm sorry. Her fans will go to the ends of the earth for her. And they do not, she could fart in their general direction and they will they will lap it up. Not because it's a bad, that, I'm not giving that as a bad thing. Don't give me, I'm not saying that's what she's doing. Do you think it's because she's popular or do you think it's because she's genuine? Because she's genuine. They love her because she's genuine. That's my point though. They love her. The, the, um, I'm talking about the people that give her, I, I, I should have rephrased that. The, the powerful people that give her the time of day are doing it because she's popular. The people who are making her popular do it because she's genuine. The same with Joe Badamasa. That guy has put his foot in his mouth more times than anybody can count. In, in the guitar He's made world. a career of it. A, yeah. He's, he, as a matter of fact, every time he says something, he goes, somebody's going to take this out of context, but here I go. And uh, 
uh, recently Lukather. He he talked to Lukather because Luke Luke took it badly. Luke was I, you could tell that he was he, he is visibly upset about what happened when he said Tablature was not um, was not reading music that that. Uh, you should read, learn to read music if you want to read music. If you want to learn to play, learn to play. Um, but tablature is a crutch or something like that. I'll be the first person to admit tablature is a crutch. I've got a book right there. You can't see it because it's all whited out. But that's tablature. That's not sheet music. Are you kidding me? I, I know it's a crutch. <laughs> it'd be ridiculous not to make that statement. But of course, all these people had their egos Oh no, my ego is so badly bruised. I have to go after Lukather for telling me I'm using tablature as a crutch. Listen, it is a crutch. I'll be the first one to tell you. And I use it all day. I've got thousands yep. of pages of it. That is all crutch. Admit, I mean, admittedly, uh, what you're saying is absolutely true that the, that the reason the record, record company is interested in Billie Eilish is because of her popularity. And her popularity is because of her genuineness, I guess. That would be the, the word I would use. Um, and I think that those things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. I think that's how that relationship is supposed to work, right? Is that the artist should be connecting to the fans, not the music companies in front of the artists connecting to the fans. Because that's what was going on before. When, when Britney Spears signs a deal with Pepsi, Right. Oh, actually, she's the she's the perfect case because right now she's she can't do anything. She's stuck and she's suing and trying to get out of her situation because they had basically declared her psychologically unfit. And so the record company literally got in between her and the fans. Right. And this was going on her whole career where she could never do anything without the record company say so. And there was no genuineness there. Which is why, like, her fans still kind of stuck around when she shaved her head and went off the deep end. Because they were like, well, that's, I mean, this is what she's going through. And, I I mean, I, I, I don't, not that I like her music, but I, de- but I identify with that part of it. That, like, they saw that as the reality behind what was really going on there. And that the, the record companies have been doing this for, for decades where they create the ad campaign. They control who you're going to sign with. They control when you're going to record the next record. They do all of these things. And then you got somebody like Billie Eilish or, or Joe Bonamassa who just comes out of left, left field and says, screw all of you. I'm doing it on my own time, on my own terms, with my own promoter. And, and of course, that's that's overstating Billie Eilish, right? Obviously, has a deal now. You know, it's being taken care of by um, pop music and all that. But, like, Joe... Joe ran into a situation where he couldn't book the venues he wanted because nobody would give him the time of day. So he said, screw you guys. They laughed at him and they said, you'll never do this. And he went and rented the venues himself, created his own promotion company and has been selling them out for 10 years, you know, 15 years or whatever it is now. And it's like the industry has to catch up at some point. And right now, what I'm seeing when I hear people like Tim P- Tim Pierce talk about that is they're like crying for days gone by. And it's like, guys, you need to accept the new normal. Stop well, trying to pretend like it's going back that way. Yeah. And, and um, I think that – so uh, so let's look back. If, we're, if we are going to look back, let's look back, right? So if we were to look back um, at, the, at the people who did 
from did it for themselves. Okay, the Beatles did it for themselves. They took it on, and they toured around and made peanuts for a long time before they hit it big. Um, and I can go, I could go on for a long time. Uh, the Beatles, the Bee Gees, um, the Who, um, Led Zeppelin, you name it. Um, Led Zeppelin, as much as people want to think that the record company had something, no, that was a that was a brainchild of themselves. Yeah, I don't think I don't think record companies were that smart in 1971, two, three, four, no. to to like do what Page was doing. I think he knew more about what the what the industry wanted than than they did. Right, um, and when you. When you look at um, uh, even the birds and uh, you know um, the zombies and uh, all these people, they they were doing this stuff that um, was creative and was uh, uh, 10cc another one um, that that really was outside of of everything. Pink Floyd, come on, nobody nobody thought Pink Floyd would do anything. Um, and they took a long time to actually I, take off as much. As I have they... a really good relevant example to this. Yeah. You familiar with Rainbow Bridge? Yeah. Okay. So there's the crazy psychedelic 60s movie. Yep. Um, and I think it was actually 70. I think it came out in 1970, but um, which Jimi Hendrix is in. It has some of the best concert footage of Jimi Hendrix yeah, ever, but there's some, there's some issues. Yeah. There's some issues with the footage, but anyway, th that's, that's why it's relevant. Right. Yep. Um, and, the director went to the producers, which, by the way, it's just show business. It's whether it's film or whether it's music, they both operate the same way. Went to the studio and he said, I want to make this movie. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a bunch of people and we're going to go rent a hotel and we're going to put all these people in there. And then we're going to make a movie out of it. And it's going to be like a documentary thing. Yep. And the producer looked at them and said, I have no idea what the hell you're going to do. Get him a check. That that was the 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 way they looked at that back then. Yeah, and they don't look at anything like that now. It's no. not like get them a check. It's just like no, no, we're not doing that. That's that's a risk of money. We don't risk. We don't take risks. And <laughs> as we said before, I think we I think we talked about it last week or the week before. Um, Hendrix didn't get popular in the states, folks. The not states really. did not love Hendrix in the beginning. It was it was the UK. It was England. He had a devoted he had a devoted group of people that would that would that would come out once he like once he did the right, Monterey right. pop. It was like it, he was still underground. He didn't get he didn't get super popular until his death. I mean that when he died and that went and that you know ended up on TV, then people started then, buying his records. Oh yeah, have then, an performance. Okay, yeah. Then everybody was like, "Oh yeah, I was a Hughes Hendrix fan." Um, but I'm just saying that he got his start in England. Debbie Harry and Blondie got their start in England. Um, uh, uh, who was it? Um, Chrissy Hind, um, from, uh, uh, the pretenders. She got her start in England. Um, you know, the fact is that a lot of bands, um, got their start. Uh, uh, Hart got their start in, in, uh, in, um, Canada, not in, not in America. They just happened to be heard because the radio waves don't know about borders and they come across. Um, so, Jeez, uh, you know, we, we talk about how diverse we are musically, and it's funny because we're not really. We're not. Japan is diverse musically. England is diverse musically. Germany is diverse musically. No, I mean. America isn't. Even the things that we claim, even the things that we lay claim to are like so interrelated, yeah. like jazz and blues. 
I mean, there's a time period when that was basically the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I sort of laugh because I'm like, that's what America, I, I use quotations because I know that obviously there's other forms of American music, but that's what American music is. You go to school and you study music. They tell you American music is jazz and blues. They don't talk about folk. Right. Because that's, that's an Irish thing. Apparently that came from Ireland. Yeah, but jazz and blues didn't come from here either. Like right. they came from, they were born out of folk music. They were born out of French music. Yep. Like that's, I, I mean, it's like, guys, everything we do here is a melting pot. Right. You know, you go to, you go to England and they have pirate radio and they're playing stuff from, um, and I say pirate radio, but it's like just basically unofficial radio stations. And they'd be playing like Jeff Beck talked about it. He did a whole album of music that was like inspired by basically like Middle Eastern rap music. Um, and, and it's like, first off, Middle Eastern music is not something you actually hear as a term very much, yeah. but, um, there are some countries in the Middle East where music is a thing, yeah, the uh, and not, and not just used for, for uh, celebration, but, um, they, uh, they, they have diversity. You're not going to hear, you know, Indian, uh, what was I going to say? Like Indian, in Indian film music on the radio here, you might hear K-pop now. Right, but it's but that's like that's the extent of world music in the United States that you're going to hear on the radio. Yeah, uh, you would have to seek it out, yeah. and I think the, the that's my my whole thing with the streaming services is like people act like well, streaming services are evil because they don't prop performers up, they don't do the they don't do the things that performers want them to do, which is to put them in front of everybody, and it's like well, but yeah, but the streaming thing does something different. It provides the consumer the choice and the ability. Right. To look for things that are available on that service. Well, you know, we are in the infancy of it still. Uh, when right. You think about it. YouTube. Started, Twenty years before we know what it's really going to look like. Yeah, YouTube started in two thousand and four, two thousand and six, somewhere in there. And we're just and, now getting to the crybabies. Right, and re- <laughs> really, YouTube has now surpassed uh, television. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I know that happened. I've watched fast. more, more YouTube night. now than I do TV by a long shot. I don't have a cable service, folks. I don't I have mean, any, Yep. The only reason I have cable is to watch YouTube. And it's funny because, I mean, you know, in other words, cable internet. Yeah, internet, um, right. I don't have cable television. And I haven't for, let's see, what year is this? For five years. This will be my sixth year without, without cable television. And so um, six or seven. So a lot of people come up to me and they'll say, Jim, have you cut like the Kardashians? I, I know to make fun of them, but I don't really know what they are because I've never seen it. It didn't exist. And if it did, I yeah, so yeah. knew that I didn't care. The Walking Dead, I didn't watch that. I don't, I don't watch television. And when my friends will say, oh, did you catch this or did you catch that? I go, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why are you even watching that? <laughs> I mean, so, you know. And it's funny because they don't know what why uh, uh, um, a can of uh, of um, hard lemonade is funny because they don't watch YouTube and we watch YouTube so we know why a can of lemonade is funny. So yes, it's 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 kind of like the news and that's news. It's news as far as I'm concerned um, <clears throat> has changed and and it's it's developed a different way of of delivering information. Um, and, uh, we're only starting to see it. We're going to see it with movie theaters. 
faster than we thought because of the pandemic. Um, I don't think movie theaters are coming back at all. I mean, even 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 TV right now is breathing its last gasp. I know people are like that. People are probably listening to this and they're going, "No way!" Like, yeah, yeah it's happening right as you're paying attention to it. If you haven't noticed, like CBS and all of the major networks really have their own streaming service right now. Right that where they're and, releasing their content the real right. good content is not coming to tv it's going to the streaming service that's right and, and whether whether you like the gun the content or not the the content that they like the best that they're putting the money behind such as star trek discovery um whether you like it or not that's their that's cbs's big show right now where that's is right. it that's right it's, it's on CBS over there or whatever it's called or yeah, yeah what yeah. all access but um but that's but that's the point like so um i'm so glad that the the music industry and this is the distinction that the music industry has chosen to not play favorites and actually when title happened i i was pissed because i'm like okay so here's what's going to happen they're going to they're going to desegregate the industry in the sense that you're going to have some people that have title and iTunes yeah. and so, or a- Apple Music. Some people are going to have title and Spotify, and that there what there will be like the need for this other streaming service because certain people want an exclusive place to be. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, but but here's but here's the thing: like that's bad for business for for every artist. Yeah, if you're a person that listens to independent music, and that's kind of like your thing, is you seek out music that other people don't normally listen to um and because i because i'm sort of falling that that boat right like i'll listen to that and then if somebody comes on that's like maybe a little bit more popular like a Giovanna massa and i'm like you know what actually he's not bad like i'll listen to that too um and they lose that collateral right so that's what's happening right now with the tv services and and the and the film services because they are not segregating their content into specific houses or anything like that you don't really know what streaming services to get yeah. It's just, you have to get them all. If you well, want to watch everything, then you have to get them all. I, I and it's hope, like, yeah, I hope that streamers like, like we do with pod, our podcast, it is everywhere. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on, and you will find and, that most musicians have embraced that approach. Right. And I think that's the smartest thing you can do. Um, if, if you're, if your objective is truly to reach as many po- people as possible, you're not going to just stick it on YouTube. And forget about it. Um, there's a lot of uh, <clears throat> uh, there's a lot of reasons to diversify. There's a lot of reasons to get it out there in many different ways. And we're multiple platforms where where you know we you'll find our podcast is listed on every podcast service we can find. Right. And um, that's what that's what's like. This is not exactly the same thing because our product isn't free based. Right. Only difference. And and that's the thing though because it's like that. That I think. I don't think we'd have as much. I, I think we'd have like one listener. I would think we'd be like a cable access television show at 2 a.m. Like Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Wait, we're not? Yeah. I quit and, then. And, yeah, exactly. And and the truth of the matter is that that um, if you look at it, uh, that's kind of kind of um, what we are. But because we exist in the in the world we exist in. If we just have, which kind of do, if we just have one <laughs> listener in each of these things, we have a group of listeners, which we have. We have. And speaking of listeners, to shift gears, we have a listener question. Yeah, let's get to that because we got a half hour left. Yep. 
And uh, so the listener I feel question, like yeah, and I got to I got to um, finish up. So this is our listener question: Maple or rosewood? Which one do you prefer? Why do you prefer it? And what is it that that uh, causes you to use um, one, the other, or both? First off, I want to correct the question: Maple, rosewood, or ebony? Yes. Because um, <laughs> I've got because there are actually three mainstream choices. Yeah, and um, I've got some though... ebony. Yeah, is your three thirty five uh, rosewood or ebony? Rosewood. Rosewood. What's your ebony guitar? I think my. Oh wait, I don't anymore. <laughs> my V I was, was gonna say. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I can start. I've had all three, um, in Strat style guitars, um, and so like, honestly. I, everybody, if you don't know, I'm a maple guy. I tend to prefer maple necks. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for it, but we'll get into those in a minute. So maple actually probably tonally is the least fitting, uh, wood that I could probably put on my necks because it, it's, they're, it's extremely bright. I, I know people will tell you like wood doesn't matter in the fingerboard. It, 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 I will say if you have a maple on maple board neck, they're bright. They just are. I have I have a, a strat that I don't play, um, a Fender strat that that's maple on maple, and it's the biggest problem I have with it is it's got this peak around two point five k that just doesn't stop and it just ramps up. Um, now I could correct that with the right pickups. I could I could get another neck for it, obviously, um, and uh, maybe a different piece of maple would be slightly darker in, in coloration. But like I think you roll the dice more on the bright side of the spectrum. If you go maple on maple, you can find the right one in any combination. But I think that, that maple on maple in general, if you're buying sight unseen, you're going to get a bright neck. Just expect it. Um, I will say they're more stable. That's part of the reason why I pick them. Um, the other reason I pick them is actually because of if you get them the way I like them, where they're almost unfinished or they're oiled, um, that is the way to play. Uh, for the kind of music I play, like there's no resistance. Um, it's like... You know, if, if you've ever done gymnastics, it's like putting chalk on your hands. That's is kind of what it feels like. Um, and I don't have that experience with Rosewood. I've had Rosewood guitars. Um, I actually don't dislike Rosewood. I think Rosewood's the best alternative to finished maple. I hate finished maple. If you're going to put gloss finish on maple, just send it back. I don't want it. Um, because if you put a gloss finish on it, for whatever reason, it's always a cheap gloss finish just to protect the maple. And it's like the stickiest, nastiest garbage on earth. Um, I have a guitar right now I'm about to sell because it has a gloss maple neck and I just don't want to strip it. Um, I don't want to sand it down. So it's just, it's going to go. Um, but um, for Rosewood, I mean, it's, it's kind of middle of the road. It's a little bit darker in tonality. It's not, so like, here's the, here's the, the strange thing. So people think like, well, is the wood gets darker, the tone gets darker. No, ebony is actually really bright. Um, ebony, I would say, is somewhere between rosewood and maple, and I think ebony tends to be uh, like a lot brighter in the very, very high spectrum of the guitar, not around the upper mids. Whereas like maple is the upper mids and it doesn't stop, whereas like ebony is all clarity and top end and bright shimmery stuff. Um, I I like ebony too. Um, ebony is a good alternative for for unfinished maple. Um, because it has similar characteristics. Both of those woods with smaller frets tend to be 
a little bit like sandpaper under the fingers, though. They're not they're not as smooth because they're because they're open grain. But that's that's basically where I where I live at with this question. I am definitely um, when it comes to my Stratocaster, I'm definitely a maple um, fan, and I've tried rosewood. And the reason that I like and it's maple and maple, by the way, and that's a finished uh, um, rose or uh, maple uh, fretboard. It is for the very reason you don't like it is why I like it, and that's because it's bright. Um, and uh, when I want to turn off the brightness, I roll back the tone knob just like everybody else. I'm not, I'm not uh, particularly, um, you know, independent of that um, or original by any means. Well, uh, I just, I think the tone knob for me, like I've just never found the right values because it always sounds like a cocked wah when I do that, which is why I don't do it. Yeah. And I and, and I um uh, and I can understand that. I typically go to the neck pickup and I just roll it off a little bit, or I'll go between the bridge and the and the middle. Um, On a strat, the money position is the neck or the neck and middle anyway. That's so yeah. that I, that's that's normal. It, it really is. Um, I, I find myself using the bridge very little on a strat, which is you don't take uh, it to the bridge. Don't take it to the bridge. Take it to the bridge. Um, anybody that's a James Brown fan knows what we're talking about there. I use my bridge pickup more than any Strat player I know. And honestly, like, it's it's hilarious to me because I'm like, I like dark pickups. Why the hell am I using the bridge? But um, I, if you have a good Strat bridge pickup, it changes everything. All of a sudden you're like, holy crap, you can actually use that pickup for something? Yeah, um, yeah that's what happens, so... Yeah, get a good I, use. Get a good, good, a good bridge pickup. Yeah, <laughs> I, I use my neck pickup and the neck middle. Uh, what's funny is because of that, and that's why I love that strat. That the one thing I do love about that strat, other than the than um, the neck, which is an awesome neck by the way, um, is that in the bridge position, I push in the S one, and guess what it does? It adds the neck, and so now yeah. I have neck and bridge. And it mellows that sound out perfectly. And so See, that's I can... weird because my S500 has that. I have the expander switch. And when I throw that thing, it sounds just like a telly, but it is not mellow. It is the opposite of mellow. And it makes me wonder if like your neck pickup is hotter yeah, than it should be in like a balanced set. I don't know. It's just, just, just something I, I drop there. It does exactly what I want it to do. You're probably right. It's probably exactly what you're talking about. Where it mellows out the bridge and takes that, takes that um, spanky um, stuff off it and gives it a little more sponge. I like. Well, you've that. heard. I mean, you've heard my my treble position though, and like it's not what people would think, right? I mean, right, it's not yeah. like because no, if not you ever played a strat, and, yeah, if you played a strat and you play like uh, a cowboy chord A uh, chord, you know, and you're like, oh, oh I can't handle it. Um, none of my guitars sound that way anymore. And so it's, I don't know if it's just technique or like what, but I, I can get away with it now. So what's I'm funny is because um, I was doing some recording for this, I want to I want to put a, get together a little video of this for this is um, I put my I did what you're talking about. So I played some open chords in my bridge only position. Oh, that's not so bad. And then I realized I was using the half watt setting on my my two by 12 on the twin. So I put it to 12 watts, which is the second um, next. So two more um, things up. 
<clears throat> and then I turned it up a little bit, and there it is. There's that ear. And as I turned it up more in that, it, it, and took off that, uh, um, uh, what do they call it, the attenuator, mm -hmm. and put it towards where it would be at 85 watts. The closer I got to 85 watts, the more I got that that high end, and and the louder I made it. Um, mm -hmm. So the fact is that that folks, you got to remember what you might like at the bedroom levels might not be what you like when you're playing out, and that's a, that's a big that's a big thing. So for me, which one do I prefer? It really depends. I mean, if I'm playing comfortably numb, and I'm doing that really high bend, uh, you know, at the 14th fret, that um, you know that uh, where the solo is in D, um, it, you know, the first solo. I kind of want to make it shoot right, you know, shoot you right in the eye. Where the second solo is a little bit more, um, you know. I think you're okay. describing the property of beaming, though, right? Like a very directional speaker yep. um, and not having a diffused tone. One thing that I found that actually will help with that is turn on a reverb, turn your yeah. reverb up. Because what happens is it diffuses that yep. um, across the frequency spectrum and makes it more even. And it can take a piercing sound and make it palatable. But the other thing is with Fender amps, that tone control, people have them dialed way too uh, way too high most of the time. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you how many 60-style Fenders, like blackface amps, where I see people with their treble on like eight. And I'm going, what are you trying to do? Communicate with bees? Yeah, yeah. I mean... <laughs> What I what I wind up doing, it's on four actually. It's it might even be on three. I'm, I'm trying to see over there. Um, yeah, it's it's on four. Um, what I what I will do is I I'll kick in the Keeley dark side, the yeah. front side of the dark side. Oh well, and, and then and, and depending on where your tone nibs on that, I mean, because it's that's basically a muff. Yeah. I mean, I I I got in fact um I don't think I showed it on the show this last week. I got the Plumbus fuzz. And um, this was this is my <laughs> wife's uh, silly gift for me this year. Um, this is a Russian big muff in a plumbus housing from Rick and Morty. And um, this guy, like, so the, these are the knobs, which if you <laughs> haven't figured that, that's the controls, like the the plumbus, you know. Yep. Um, so I, I found that the, the tone control, it like, if I put it lower than you probably would ever consider putting it, I really like the sound of a muff, um, but most people want to put the tone control at noon or higher, and I'm going, oh, no. God, that's just going to rip your head off. Yeah. You know, like, no. what are you doing? Um, so, yeah. my but, says, but back to wood. Yeah, back to wood. So the truth of the matter is, obviously, I have three Rosewood fretboards, and I had an ebony fretboard. Um, I prefer the Rosewood. Um, and even then... You'll see me um, when I when I use the bridge pickup. Doesn't matter which three of these guitars, I may roll my tone knob just a slight bit too. It it's ever so slight. You know the difference between ten and nine, even if it's just a hair, can really make the difference in how it projects and and whether it sounds uh, sharp and. And kind of has a more, you know what I mean? A, a, a more, for lack of a better word, rolled off sound. Well, um, 
I think a lot of people associate that the um, the razor blade thing, like the hair or whatever you want to call that, the um, the fizz that happens in an amp with you know a type of wood or whatever. And I honestly don't think that those frequencies are really the responsibility of the wood. Actually, in my estimation, when I have a fizzy guitar tone, you know what it usually is? My my amp is quiet, yeah. turned way down, and the speakers don't. They reproduce those frequencies a lot more accurately than they do the other stuff. And so you turn them up, those eclipse that, and all of a sudden that disappears in the mix and everything is everything is right as rain. Yeah. Um, so that's why, like, I've gone back and forth on the Vintage 30s. I still don't like Vintage 30s at volume. I'm not going to get in the middle of that. But, but I will say that um, they sound better louder because it evens out that thing right yep. uh, now so you were talking about um rosewood so you have you have rosewood would you say that rosewood is a snappy wood or is it more mellow i, like I the, find the, it yeah, attack wise oh attack wise attack wise i actually find it to be snappy well so this so like i actually find maple to be snappier but yeah. but this is, we're talking about fretboards, right? Yeah. So I actually got to play a rosewood rosewood neck, PRS, right? Nice. It was a special it was a special order. Somebody had it in the shop and they let me play it. Um, and that was the snappiest neck I've ever played. I was like taken aback. I was like, damn. And it wasn't like mahogany. So like all of these woods change a little bit with mahogany, and that's another thing I was going to point out. I've never played a mahogany maple board. Yeah. I'm sure they exist. I know people have ordered them before. I have. Yeah. Um, but like, no, like mahogany neck maple board. I've yeah. seen maple necks mahogany board. Yep. But it's like, that's like a different thing. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that like in general, with, with, with mahogany rosewood, the only problem I have with them, it's not tonal. It they actually sound great. Um, that is the sound of Gibson, right? Um, what, what I have the problem with is that they are less stable because rosewood tends to, and it, it's a hard wood, but <laughs> it tends to flex more because it doesn't have the backing of the, the mahogany, which is a softer wood that, you know, that, that maple would provide like maple is a freaking hard wood. And I know that we've probably talked about this on the show before, but you can go find pictures of Leo Fender standing on a Telecaster neck between two chairs. And apparently when they used to do that exhibition, He'd stand on the thing and then he'd put it on a guitar, <laughs> you know, it's like, and it works, you know, and it doesn't, it's not out of tune or anything like, um, so granted Leo Fender is probably 90 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's just an interesting little, little story. I don't think you will see any Gibson owners standing on their, their mahogany necks between two chairs. No, no, it probably wouldn't be a good look for them. Uh, Mark Agnesi, would you would you uh, care to uh, take the Pepsi challenge? Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, it, it, yeah. Let me go back to that to that snappiness. Um, what I mean by snappy might not be what you're talking about by snappy. What I'm talking I, about by snappy, and and it might be. So. Here's what I here's what I get from a strat, and it might be I don't know what it what causes it, 
But what I get from a Strat, and of course I love um, maple fretboards, so I'm telling the Strats, but I'm just the Strats more because I don't play Italian. But um, I get a, I get an instant this, and then a lot of a lot more of this. It comes like down a, short, a shorter decay. Yep. Like a like where, a smoother decay. That's the pickups. Yep. And where in a in a Les Paul, I get a this. It, it's like this. I can get that consistent. Oh, you're talking about you smoother, so less snap there. So in a rosewood less fall, you're not gonna get it. So like just comparing, just like rosewood strat versus maple strat. Generally, you're gonna you're gonna have a um like a sharper attack in a in a maple strat. It's yep. not gonna be a lot, and it always depends on the pickups because that's a big a big problem. Like if you got plugged in, you can hear it acoustically more than you can otherwise. Yeah. Um, and I think personally. Um, maple rosewood is probably still going to be snappier than mahogany rosewood. Um, but what you're going to get on mahogany rosewood, generally, in my opinion, based on the ones that I've played, is a louder guitar. Yeah, uh, I don't know why that is, but it seems like the guitars I play with mahogany rosewood, they just tend to be louder. I don't know if it's because they're attached to brick bodies, which could be part of it. Uh, you know, when you got a Les Paul got to be freaking lo- it's going to be freaking loud is my assumption because the, the body's not absorbing as much vibration it's just passing it along right um that's my hypothesis i'm not a scientist i don't know anything about acoustic vibration and in surfaces and things like that but yeah. um and then of course these all radically change these characteristics again dynamically and radically change when you get into semi hollows so you got a 335 back there and that's yeah uh, yeah. that's going to be the smoothest attack yeah. and like the most mellow attack, you know, it's just going to be like a hump <laughs> instead so of, instead of like a, you know, yeah, that's what I meant by the, the two salad bodies get where they're going and they stay there. And so it's a, right. It's almost like a square wave. I mean, it's not, but that's how it feels where, where the, um, uh, the tell the Stratocaster feels like a, uh, uh like a sine wave. Yeah. It's, wave. it's very much like, that it, it it decays quickly, but then it like has a long release. Right. And they all have, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Stratocaster doesn't have any, um, uh, you know, the, the length of the note. What the heck is it? Uh, the, the Sustain. Sustain. Thank you. That Stratocaster don't have, they have sustain. It's just not the same sustain. You're not if sustaining you, the same frequencies. Here's a weird, here's a weird thing, and I'd love to test it sometime. So maybe if I get a chance, maybe a listener can help me out with this test at some point. But what I want to do is I want to make some strat pickups that are really high output or get some, because I know they exist. Like you can get um bare knuckles makes a set that's like 18k or something. It's supposed to be really freaking loud. Um and I want to compare them against humbuckers of similar volume, like audible volume, right? And then I want to do a test of sustain because what I have always surmised and what I've always thought was the truth was that strats are probably actually louder guitars because of the bolts in the neck. That's a that's a really good mechanical. And I suspect that the reason that they're not as loud to people and they, they seem like the sustain drops off is because the initial attack is louder than being single coils. Um, they're snappier, right? But also because the pickups are only like 6K, and they're generally pretty low output. They're generally lower than even your low output PAFs. There are, or even the lowest ones are probably similar, right? Yep. Um, and if it's really about output, like how much volume they put out, like that's what I want to test. 
because I have a theory that the Strat is probably actually a louder guitar, but it's just because it's limited by the electronics. Um, it it gets kind of this weird rap of being being inferior because it's not as loud. Well, first off, loudness doesn't really mean a whole lot. I mean, actually, the guitar isn't supposed to have infinite sustain. We've made it that way uh, over time, but it's supposed to like it's supposed to be like any other plucked instrument. Think of a harp. It's not supposed to like the note is not supposed to hang there in, in the air forever. You know, you go and have a bite and you come back and it's still going. Yeah, it's that's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. Like it's supposed to be, I honestly, it's supposed to be like a palm mute thing. You pick it, the note goes away. Yeah, and, um, and it can actually make for a pain in the rump. Um, like if you've got a, too much sustain, you could actually uh, wind up where you have more note than you wanted from your guitar. Um, and I'm, I'm sure you've had that in the past. It's where... easy to control. Uh, and that's like, I think for a lot of people, if you're recording and you want the last note to ring out and you want it to decay slow quite quickly, that's, you know, okay. Yeah, I get it. Um, cause, cause you can do it with a fade, but it's not the same. And, um, but like, I think for a lot of people, I would rather have too much and have the sustain I want, which is right. depends on what my playing characteristics are like. I wouldn't expect Vernon Reed to want infinite sustain because he tends to play a lot of like staccato lines with a lot of notes really fast. Um, And he actually sets his guitars action solo. You can hear him buzzing. Um, So that's, that's like a whole other thing too. And I think that's partially because he wants it to, to deaden the note a little bit. Um, And it must be hell on his frets, but um, that's a thing. And people do that thing. Right. So that's ultimately, I think these choices, I think we can tell you what we think of Maple, Rosewood, and Ebony. Um, you only asked about Maple, Rosewood, and the choices between them. Um, I think that's totally personal preference. Uh, personally, for me, I wouldn't let it stop me buying a guitar. Um, I would pick up a guitar, and if I liked the way it played, I'd play it for a while. I'd plug it into an amp, and if I liked the way it played to the amp, then that would be adequate for me. Whether it had a Rosewood or Maple neck is sort of irrelevant. Um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be that there's this one guy on YouTube that does all these stupid reviews and he's like, well, Rosewood is superior and, you know, sonically superior, but, but maple looks better. You're full of crap. (laughs) Like if you think that one is superior to the other, you haven't been playing guitar enough long enough to realize that there's a situation for everything. Um, so I don't know. I mean, would I give up any of my, my maple guitars? Would I swap them out for Rosewood? I got one that I'd swap for Rosewood in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, two, and, and another one that might actually get Rosewood just because. Um, and it's just... Which one would you swap out for Rosewood? The GNL Legacy, the red one I have. Oh, okay. Because um, I hate the gloss maple neck on it, and I do not want to... I do, it doesn't oh. make sense for me. It doesn't make sense for me to keep it. It's got a finished maple neck on the... Yeah. Oh, okay, no. That, that the, the Ultra is not that. I meant yeah. that it's got the fretboard that's got the maple, the standard maple, like a finish. Right, right. No, it, this is maple, maple with finish on top, right? Yeah. Um, and those kind of necks suck. My GNL is not that way. It's got a satin finish on it. Yeah, satin finish, satin. I can satin finish, I can do. Um, I prefer, I prefer like basically raw wood though. I would, I would be much happier with raw wood than satin. Mindset. You know what I found out is, and you, you Hail, probably satin. know why already, but. I prefer a nitro uh, finish 
or a satin finish to any gloss neck. Uh, it's just nitro. It, it, your hands move. You know what? Nitro. You know what? And like, I can second that. I think that I, I there's polyurethane finishes I can jive with too. Yeah. I I really think that it comes down to the quality of the finish and dry time and how they want to apply and all that. And I think that a lot of times that the finishes are applied like cheaply or they're applied very thick. And the one on that GNL is like a cheaper end. That's the only problem I have with the tributes that they're putting out now is that they have a that they have a cheap polyurethane gloss on the neck. And and it's fine. If you're going to sand it down, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't buy that guitar to sand it down. I'll sell it to somebody who will play it the way it is. Right. And uh, I will go get what I want, which is which is something a little bit more um, suitable to my needs. So before we go, I'll just say one thing that's kind of a factual thing. Um, oh, I wanted to say one more thing. Hail Satin. Hail Satin. Hail Satin. Hail Satin. That yeah, may be the title sure. of the episode. I love, <laughs> I love Satin. Hail Satin. Um, the... <laughs> Um, I was looking up the specs on my um, uh, SG so I could say for, sh- for f- you know, definitively that the uh, fretboard was Rosewood because the other two specifically say Rosewood. I went to look that one up on the Gibson site. I had to, hold, I had to go to a sales site, Guitar Center um, I went to, because uh, guess who um, removed the SG standard from their website? Gibson, the SG it's still on the website. The SG sixties, but the SG standard is not on their website right now. I get the feeling there's a change coming. I know that they're supposed to do some stuff for uh, what do you call it, but that's a weird one to change. Makes me wonder if they're going back to. Uh, I just googled it and I came up with it uh, on Gibson's site. Yeah, it's Gibson's page. Well, go to um, if you go to. Let me Gibson's see if I can find site. it in their in their original collection. Yeah, in the original collection. Look for the SG just, standard, not the Jesty standard sixty one, just the SG standard. Yeah, I mean that that may be that may be an oversight on their part too, but I would I would it suspect that they've got a new model coming. Well, you know what's funny is the one that they, I'm showing as the um standard. SG right now has the bat wing, the big guard. And they didn't before they had the small one. And the list price on this is 1500, which kind of leads me to believe that this is going to be the replacement for that. Well, this one is, so this is the, the $1,500 Batman wing. Right. So what I'm wondering is, are they going to leave the SG standard sixties and not do the, this one anymore? I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't think that if they did that, it's probably because the sales on the regular standard SG are not good. And I, from, from just from my inclination, I think most people are wanting that 60s one, the 61 or whatever. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I've heard people say like, yeah, I'm getting a 61 standard SG more than I've heard, you know, standard SG. Yeah. So, uh, and that is Rosewood on this one. This yep. was documented, but um <laughs> I don't think they're pulling a pulling a Martin on anybody and using whatever the hell wood choice yeah, they want to use, like rich light. <laughs> um, yeah, that's definitely not rich light. I can tell from looking at it from here that's not rich light. But 
Yeah, mine's not rich. Like I can I could tell you from a close up. I could take a picture of a close up and you could see um I could I was a- really surprised that your 335 darkened up as much as it did with oil. Um because I saw freshly oiled necks at a store in Michigan and they were light. Yeah. And I was going, where are they getting this rosewood from? Or yeah. is it Jatoba or something like that? Right. Um so yeah, this guy you can see he's he he darkened right up. He he sucked that stuff up though. That <laughs> I used the, the other uh, ones looked wet and they were they looked like they were wet and they were very light for rosewood. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, uh are these legit? <laughs> um so Yeah, that's anyway. what I was afraid of when I took it home. I said, geez. But the problem is that that uh, um, you know I don't know about the store you went to. Guitar Center had them hanging on the top, sh- uh, the top, uh, you know, all the way up. Oh, uh, now of course there. So the the SG. Is- by the way, the SG standard is listed in the modern collection. Oh, not really? The collection. Yes. Oh, that's why. That's- why do they even have collections? Like no well, one cares about that outside of Gibson dealers. No one cares about that. I'm not sure why they. So I get the I get the idea. There's no 2020, uh, 2021, 2022 supposedly SG anymore. You've got you've got an SG. I, I, I get it. It's like the player series, professional series thing. I get I get it. Yeah. But like when you go to buy an SG standard, do you care if it's modern or original? No. It's like it's like do I want original or extra crispy? Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I, I am surprised that it was there. I didn't even look in the modern collection, to be honest with you. So that was that was my bad. I'm just saying um, that the, the Gibson doesn't have, like, price points the same way that Fender does. And it's all made see, in the USA and, you know. It, I wouldn't call a tribute modern. And it's yeah, not uh, like the 490R and 490T are modern pickups. Oh, I don't know about that. Those are pretty hot. They've been around for a while, though. We yeah, but, modern, but but well, yeah. I mean, based on age, no. But but they're hotter than you would find in a vintage Gibson for sure. Um, yeah, yeah. There's no question about that. I'm probably going to throw 57 classics in mine, but that's beside the point. I I keep saying that, but I it, it, but every time I play it, I'm like, eh, I like it the way it is. Um, I wouldn't mess with it. I honestly wouldn't mess with it if it's got Gibson pickups in it. You don't need to invest money in 57 classics. I, I people listen, 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 people. I'm gonna tell you a secret. Gibson pickups are not that great. Okay, I'm. I know people are gonna like send me hate mail. When you've had a when you've had a set of good pickups that emulate Gibson pickups, stock 490, 498T. If you can get along with them, fine. Uh, but I can tell you that they're like buying Gibsons is not really the replacement angle you want to go on. You would, but you would be much better off going to somebody like Bare Knuckle, which I think Bare Knuckle's expensive, or going to like you know a Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. You know he is a sponsor of the show, so I will say his name. Go to Nick Bongers, order yourself a set of real PAFs, um, and you will see the difference. And Jim, you did the Pepsi Challenge, so you know, like they're not the Fifty Seven Classics are they're expensive for what they are. And the only credibility you get is, oh, I got Gibsons in my Gibson. Yep. Yeah. And if you're going to do the, uh, the biggest thing is, no matter what you do to a Gibson, I, I, you know, or a Fender, by the way, is uh, 
when it comes to trading trade time, you, put the original pickups back in. It. Yeah, you better put the the original pickups back up, and you better do a good job of of soldering it, or you've devalued it. Because if, if somebody op- if somebody opens the cavity, you know, honestly, if they're going to go that far with it, I just tell them to go pound sand. Gibsons are desirable. Nobody cares about that. Go take it to your tech and spend five bucks having to go over the solder joints. Yeah. Yep. You buy here. I'm gonna buy your. I'm gonna buy your Gibson SG standard sixty one that you paid seventeen hundred for, and I'm gonna pay. I'm gonna buy it from you for thirteen hundred. Oh my god, that solder joint looks bad. We can't do this deal over fifteen bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It it, it is kind of a, a a silly thing when you look at it. That it's way. beyond silly. Like, oh, I'm not gonna buy your guitar because it doesn't have a hard shell case. It's a four it's a five thousand dollar guitar. It's like really? Yeah. Like over over a fifty dollar or hundred dollar case? Yep. My cat is chasing a bottle cap. Yep. Well, it's been two hours. It's time to go. I've been Jim. I've been David. Hail been, Satin. Hail Satin. We've been practical guitarists. <laughs> Hail, hail Satin. Hail Satin.